Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And today we're talking about Doom Eternal. Developed by id Software and published by Bethesda Softworks, the game was released for PS4, Xbox One, and PC in March of 2020. Um, you know, I know we have all played Doom 16, and this was a long-awaited follow-up to that uh, title that I think surprised a lot of people back in 2016, and uh, I know, Clint, you've had your eye on it since it was first announced. Yeah, I've played the ever-loving shit out of Doom since, I mean, I think I played Doom 2016 at least 10 to 15 times, and I... I'm embarrassed to say I played this one 10 to 15 times already, and it's <laughs> it's only Don't April. Don't be embarrassed, so. man. We're in quarantine. That's how yeah. it works. <laughs> yeah, a lot of spare time on our hands. So, but yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's a it's a cool game. Um, it definitely, uh, I'd say, expands in uh, like most ways on uh, Doom 2016 to an almost comical degree. Like it expanded on things that maybe didn't need expanding on, but overall, you know, from my perspective, this game was quite a bit additive to doom 2016 and i had a good time with it yeah they definitely changed a lot they added a lot most of it was good i think the only thing that i did not love that they changed was the aesthetic like Hmm. i feel like doom 2016 was very like dark grimy dirty like demonic this was very like rgb 80s neon lights flashy it was really Hmm. weird how that changed that up yeah, so this one was interesting because it it definitely had a, a lot larger variety of environments than Doom 2016 did. I read that this was the first game to be developed in the id Tech 7 engine, which is a new one, which is slightly different than what they used for the last one. But the main change, like you said, in terms of aesthetics comes from the fact that you're jumping between all of these different locations in sort of a Doom universe. You know, you're going from alien worlds to hell to destroyed Earth to some base in space on Mars. It's just like, a lot of variety and like you said Clint sort of lends itself to like a cartoony Saturday morning cartoon vibe yeah and honestly so that was kind of hard to get into at the beginning and that's actually been my history with the Doom games anyway at the beginning I'm annoyed by they're always very different from mainstream games in some way and that's awesome but at the beginning it annoys me and then I get into it I'm like actually this is kind of great and by the end I'm like I freaking love this game the story (laughs) was kind of like that here too like I felt like you were completely lost if if you didn't read all those uh, what is it? All the codex? Yeah, honestly, I found the codex thing a bit overwhelming to be to begin with. Yeah, I don't know. The, the story was okay, but it got better if you were willing to read into it. I ended up watching like twenty videos about it at the end, and it all sort of started to make sense. But most people aren't going to care enough to do all that, and I feel like they showed an absurd amount of like stuff that didn't really matter to the player at all. And it left you confused. Yeah, I was going to say, like, having recently played Control, where I, for the PS4, uh, and having read every single codex entry presented to me in that voraciously, this, by contrast, slid off my brain like water off a duck. Like, I just, (laughs) the the second I got a codex entry and picked it up and saw, like, a page of text staring me in the face in that green on black font, I was like, and I'm out. (laughs) Yeah, that's not what people are doing in Doom. Like in Doom, it's like, go, 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 fast, 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 kill, kill, kill. And then you're like, or you could stop and read this paragraph. And you're like, no, I'm just going to go back to ripping things in half with a chainsaw. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, one of the first things that you hear said to you in the game is rip and tear. It's not stop and read. (laughs) So the plot for this game was 
maybe a little bit on the ridiculous side, but I kind of liked how they almost leaned into that. Like, they're like, you know, we're going to push this to 10. It's it wasn't like it wasn't like it was camp or anything, but um, I got the sense they weren't trying to make things too serious with it either. Agree, and maybe that was a big shift from Doom twenty sixteen. Doom twenty sixteen was very grounded. The stakes were very serious. Like obviously, it's a demonic invasion on Mars, so it can't be like too serious, serious. But it had a much more serious tone. This was a more little fun and campy tone, in, in my opinion. Yeah, just by way of sort of introducing the stakes of um, this game, uh, the events take place about two years after the events of 2016's Doom, and Earth has been overrun by uh, demons, basically wiping out 60% of Earth's population. So where the Doom guy was during all of that, um, I think it's I think that is basically the end of Doom 2016. He's like teleported to somewhere unknown. But regardless... This game opens with you in a space castle and getting ready to <laughs> mount your assault to reclaim the Earth or kill demons for some unknown purpose. But hey, them's the stakes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you have a fucking space castle now, so that's kind of dope. Yeah, no explanation there either. Although we are going to get two, evidently two story DLCs this year, which I'm really excited about. So in the last Doom, they only put out expansions for the multiplayer, which was not that good. Although to be fair, I think they contracted that out. So, whatever. But this time around, they're going to actually expand on the story. I assume, since you start right in the middle of nowhere at the beginning, that's probably where the DLC is going to pick up. Oh, you think they might do, like, a prequel? Yeah, so, like, you're off hmm. killing those hell priests, right? And mm-hmm. every other, all the other ones are really hard, have a really hard buildup. But this first one, you basically start right in front of them. So, I have a feeling you have to figure out how you got to that point. The game definitely does um, a lot with its various locations since we said, you know, it starts with a post-apocalyptic Earth where it's it sets up, but you kind of make your way across a broad range of different locales, and uh, I guess what we should really talk about is how this game does level design, because um, it encourages both a lot of really fast movement in its arena-style battles, but also has a lot of traversal puzzles compared to previous Doom games. I don't think it had a lot of puzzles so much as it had a lot of secrets. And that's no, I mean, that's nothing majorly new to the Doom universe. They've been doing, you know, secret rooms since the very first Doom. What this had was crazy platforming. To It added a lot of platforming to the puzzles. So this game moves so fast and has so many ways of traversal that you can't really keep up with it, especially at the beginning. You have to really learn how to move around in this game. Because after a while, at the beginning at least, you don't even feel like you're in control. I, at least I didn't. At the beginning, you have no idea Like when they put these huge, gigantic, sprawling levels. I think the third level is the first one that I noticed this on, the Hive, uh, the Gore Nest one, yeah. um, where you just totally cannot keep straight what is going on where in that level in your brain. It is far too big for the human mind to comprehend and far too many diverticula that you're going in and out of across mm-hmm. that level. So there's an increased focus on exploration in this game, which lead to those secrets you guys were talking about. But the levels themselves kind of remain strangely linear, despite the fact that you tend to loop back and forth in in a big way. You'll thread back onto paths you've taken before, but often being like one story up or one story down, places you couldn't get to before. 
One of the things I really liked about the level exploration was the map system they had. Um, I felt like this game was linear to a positive degree and that it wasn't like, here's a fork in the road, choose the left or right, and then go a whole ways down here and figure mm-hmm. out if it was a dead end or not. Um, instead, it was, here's the main path you guys got to go down. And also, there's a secret right here. And a lot of the times, you'd be able to look at the mini-map and be like, oh, if I jump off of this platform and then this, and I climb on this wall, then I can get to the secret. And I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, Doom's all about pacing, and it's all about fast go fast. Pacing. Yeah, there's no slowing down. And that was good that they were able to conclude all those or include all those uh, secret areas without slowing things down too much. And I think the mini-map and how good that played out in the game and how informational that was really helped keep it going yeah i this is definitely like a good implementation of like the metroid prime mini map right like this is where i remember first seeing a map like that is metroid prime and uh it's easy to to understand and interpret but to your point about um the pacing being pretty good the only times that i felt like it sort of fell down was when they made uh a traversal puzzle just a little too obscure or difficult to find out the path forward. Like I could totally see this game being perfectly paced if you never got stuck on a platforming puzzle, and I got stuck on several. Ah, I get you. <laughs> I've got two. So I, I I love this game. That's no secret. Uh, I've literally so I played it on PlayStation and on PC to see if there's any difference between the two, and I've gotten platinum trophies on both already. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, it's March. It's been out for a full month. Three days. No. Yes. Um, <laughs> So, the two things that really just ki- killed this game, the purple goo, fuck that shit. That was yep. the stupidest design choice. Like, this whole game is about go, 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 and then they put something that just slows you down. And you can tell they even they even knew it was a bad idea because they abandoned it after the early levels. And like, this sucked. Why are we doing this? But they didn't take it out. Like, it added you nothing to You know what would have been a good choice instead? If it didn't slow you down, but you couldn't jump out of it. Like, you would have gotten sure. the exact same restrictions but without the frustration to the player of like, oh yes, I enjoy strolling through this slow shit here. It would be, it would be fine if it, they were slowing you down to show you something, but it didn't. Every single time that they gave this to you, it wasn't even like it was a combat puzzle. It was just, this is annoying, deal with it. It was fucking stupid. Like, that was dumb. They should have taken that out. Um, the other thing, okay, so yes, your movement is, is much more uh, dynamic than it's ever been, and they add a whole bunch of platforming. Why are there floating platforms in the middle of space? Like, <laughs> well, Clint, there's no gravity. That's why they float. This yeah. is, this is just so dumb. Like, don't just have dumb platforming shit for the sake of having. This isn't fucking Mario. This is Doom. Like, have a reason, and I'll platform. Don't just do dumb shit like that. This goes back to like the thesis of this game for me is like, if they're gonna put something into this game, they're gonna maximize it and make it like the most ridiculous version of what it is. So that becomes ridiculous platforming challenges. So like, you know, I started off finding it to be fairly novel that they had these things. And then by the end, it became poor and kind of repetitive. And then bad signposting kind of ruined that from being successful for me. But I thought the signposting was overall pretty solid. It was decent. Like, green lights, you see it, uh, you go towards that. There were a couple of times I remember being confused. Uh, Spoiler alert over here, uh, I did not get past the BFG level, because after I finished the fifth Slayer Gate, I was just... I was pretty (laughs) angry at the game after that one. I'm sure we can get into that one later. So, if there's things going on in the later levels, platforming-wise, I can't speak to those, but I thought... 
I thought the platforming was kind of a little bit on the lighter side, and I liked it like that. This game was focusing on the combat, and that was definitely where it shined. I was fine with the platforming when it made sense in the world. I did not like when there's just like floating platforms and and swinging flaming chains hanging in space just for the sake of having a platforming thing. That just, like, why is that there? That made no sense. That kind of brings you out of the world that you're in. It's there because flaming swinging axes are metal, and so they (laughs) must be included in the game. I guess there, there's a there's a lot of things in this game where the question was is it metal and if the answer was yes it came into the game. Yeah. The most important thing about this game, the place where it really shines, is uh, the combat and the combat loop and the combat that you find yourself in in this game is just as fast and frenetic as ever and you get into a flow state with the combat like pretty quick oh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you'll find that it's moving so fast that you literally don't have time to think and you almost have to go back and like think less do more it's really cool and then you have that heavy metal music blasting in the background and it just it just it's like a different state of mind it's kind of cool it, it does sort of turn your brain off, and I found my fingers definitely going faster than my mind could comprehend what they were doing. Like, when I finally understood that I needed to, you know, use the, the hotkeys and not try and use the shitty implementation of the weapon wheel on the keyboard, um, I, and that, that was when my game changed, because uh, I was playing on PC with mouse and keyboard. Uh, once I realized, you know, my shotgun was mapped to five, and if, oh, whatever, whenever I need my shotgun, I just need to press five and start shooting. So maybe I chose the raw. I used a controller, a gamepad for this game. Clint, what did you use? Okay, so I did both, obviously. So I played on PlayStation and I played on computer. And I can tell you that it is, it works much better on computer because you have to be able to move so quickly and you have to be able to quick weapon swap. This is all about doing things in a microsecond. Mm-hmm. And it just works better with a mouse and keyboard because you have more at your fingertips at all times. Now, I played it with a pro controller on my PlayStation. So it was the best case scenario for a controller because I had all the, you know, the back buttons, but still, keyboard and mouse kicked the shit out of it. I was able to beat uh, the game on ultra violence on my mouse and keyboard. I could not do that on my controller. I mean, this game really does demand your whole attention. And I think, you know, we were talking about like milliseconds being the difference between success and defeat on the more difficult modes. And to be yeah. fair, I didn't I didn't delve into the higher level difficulties like you did, Clint. But I think I finished it on the medium one, um, whatever that is. Hurt um, me plenty. I mean, that that is still yeah, yeah. really hard. This game is unforgiving. Yeah, it, it. I think I did it on hurt me plenty, like Josh, you said. And this game is a, a great thing for if you would just want to block out the whole world because literally you cannot focus on anything else while you're trying to beat a level on in Doom Eternal. But that's a bad thing if you're a person like me who enjoys multitasking <laughs> while gaming. Like I yeah. will often go on uh, escapades about how not much I like a good podcast game where you can listen to a podcast and play games. <laughs> this is not game. it. No, <laughs> not so uh, much. Y- you get so into this game. So I actually I tried to play one of the master levels earlier uh, just to get back in the mode for this podcast. And uh, I was like deep into it. I was in a big arena battle and Emily walks in and says something about the kid and it scared the shit out of me because you're like so <laughs> parenthood. Oh. Like, oh, God, like you're like so in the zone when you're playing this, especially when you're in those deep combat arenas that like when you get ripped out of it real quick, it like it scares the shit out of you. I don't know.
talk about the, the actual loop that you go through in combat, though, in, in this game, because it's very much a cool thing where you, um, you're required to keep moving to get glory kills, which um, you can activate with E if you're on mouse and keyboard, after you stun an enemy, and that gives you health. So if you're low on health, you kill to get health back, which, you know, is great. It keeps the sense of momentum moving forward. You also have a chainsaw, which will give you ammo and a little bit of health, and then a flamethrower flame belch, rather, which will cause enemies to uh, drop armor. Yeah, this is this is one of the coolest designs, and they expounded on it from Doom 2016, where you just got, uh, well, I guess you got the ammo back, and, and you got the health back, but now you've got the flame belch for the armor, and it really makes enemies, enemies are your loot boxes. You've got to decide what you need, and then that's how you interact with the enemies around you, and it really makes for... It makes for nonstop combat because you never want to sit back and crouch or hide away from the action. You have to go in face first and get what you need. And they also, you had far less ammo in this game than you did in the last one too, which forced you to constantly chainsaw, flame, grenade, shoot. Like it's just a constant loop going back and forth. The grenades were equipment that, and the, the grenades and the flame belch were both equipment that you could do while you are still firing. So it's not yeah. like you have to fumble with a couple button presses to do these or choose whether you want to do one or the other. You just do them all. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Like, um, and on the higher difficulties, I found myself needing to incorporate the frag grenade as well, which is just sort of an additional way to lay out some punishment on enemies. And then also they added a mechanic called the blood punch, which you charge from doing <laughs> glory kills. And it basically disables enemies and sometimes knocks like armor off of them. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> that was an awesome addition. So these are two really awesome things that they added to, to, to Doom in this iteration. It was one, the p- progressive gore system, which was freaking awesome so progressive gore (laughs) only in doom al gore he's pretty progressive (laughs) yes so some of these demons are like real bullet sponges and instead of just shooting a thousand bullets at something and it looks the same until it dies you're like knocking chunks of flesh off these things until you wear them literally down to the bone it was it looks really cool in in in, uh in action but then also a lot of these demons would have like a, a weak spot or a gun type or a spot to hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that you want to disable, like the spiders. You'd If you did not shoot their cannon off their back, they were going to be a lot more difficult to deal with. Same with the Mancubus and all these other ones. Like, I don't know, that had a huge depth of combat for me. Absolutely. It created kind of mini goals you have. As your like, reptile brain sees these enemies coming at you, you have half a second to decide, like, okay, what enemies the biggest priority right now is one is there like a spider going around that i can shoot the gun off and kind of disable him as a threat over there and you could do that very quickly and very effectively at least on the gamepad i was playing with they had i thought a very generous aim assist which i know you kind of need on a gamepad versus a mouse and keyboard sometimes but i've appreciated that a lot um where someone like me who doesn't have the best aim in a first person shooter was still very effective at knocking off these weak points well that's the the whole point is uh you know each enemy has a behavior that you can learn that is going to make you feel like a badass when you exploit it because if there's one thing about this game that is always in front of mind it is are you making the player feel like a badass (laughs) There were some good enemies, too. And before we get into that, I want to point out a couple things about the combat loop. Um, this game did a very good job of throwing you, dri- uh, driving you into the action so that you were the one to 
go forward and attack the enemies. Um, there's an old FPS problem, design problem called the door problem, which is like there's this big arena in front of you and you have the player back in the hallway and a door leading up to that. Why will the, would the player ever want to go into the room where enemies can, you know, take fire? The door is a pretty good source of cover by itself. This game makes you go out there because if you want ammo, health, or armor, you get that from the enemies from fighting them. But you also have things like the power-ups and the ammo and the pickups that are hidden out. Not hidden, really. They are out there in the arenas, and, you know, you can't get that by hiding behind cover. You gotta be always moving and always finding the next thing. Yeah, there is no, unlike almost every other FPS in existence, there is no dodge or crouch button here, I don't believe. No, you're right. There's no crouch button. And there's like one tiny sniper rifle thing with a zoom, and that's about it. No stealth. Yeah, what this game does add is a double dash, which helps you move even more quickly across the battlefield, which is great. Um, But yeah, I totally agree. Like this game is like the door problem solved to the nth degree. Like that is, it seems to be their thesis is to always make the player lead the action Mm -hmm. and make you be the one to initiate combat. Like you'll often come up on enemies that are minding their own business or in in (laughs) fighting, right? They're demons. They're fighting with each other. And then you come in and just wreck shop. Uh, Guys, if you haven't seen what some of these glory kills look like, Get on YouTube and, and check this out. There's nothing There's nothing cooler in any video game right now, I'm telling you. And, and it's worth saying that it is totally slapstick. Like, this is not, like, gore that's going to turn your stomach. It's like a torrent of red fruit punch. Like, it's just, it's, yeah. it's gross in a hilarious way, not in a stomach-turning way. All right, so, side conversation then. What is your favorite glory kill from, from this game? Uh, I like the one where the, the arachno demon, where you take his little grenade missile and you like shove it into his like little crevice, and he just sort of <laughs> blows up. <laughs> I, I think mine was the uh, was the prowler. If you get him from the side, you uh, break his arm up, and his tibia sticks out, and then you stab him in the head with his own tibia. It's it's <laughs> it's hilarious. It it really is like slapstick comedy via gore. Yeah. All right, Joshua, what was yours? Who is the heavy gun? The Mancubus, where you take his power source, shove it down his throat, and it blows up. And as a bonus, damage to everyone around you. Nice. Now, yep. Clint, you probably played this more than me. Could you, like, aim at a specific body part for a glory kill? Oh, yeah. So every last one of those enemies probably has 8 to 10 glory kills that you can do. And if you do it by being at a different point of their body, like front on, above aiming at one foot or the other from behind, aiming at an arm. like it, They do all kinds of stuff. You want to know a uh, little bit of a difference that I just thought of was um, I played the first two God of War games, which were pretty famous for their quick time events, which the idea behind those, I think, was, oh, you know, uh, Kratos is a badass, and we want to show him doing badass things, but you, the player, you couldn't handle doing those inputs yourself. So hit X, hit Y in this particular order. And this one, you did the work beforehand, and then you just hit a button, and you got to enjoy, uh, I don't know, a second or so. I chose the uh, fast glory kills power-up, so it was less than that for me. But you got to just enjoy that. You were invincible. You didn't have to worry about anything hitting you. You get to Mm -hmm. just enjoy the ride. Yep. Yeah, Yeah, they're very cinematic, um, and it really does sort of act like an exclamation point at the end of a series of actions that the player is taking. Mm -hmm. It's especially cool on the really big... On the really big enemies that you oh, just the guys take. you got to really work on for, yeah, it's yeah, like, and then they start flashing. You're like, oh hell yeah, and then you take out your yeah. 
You take so, out your blade and, and go to town. It's pretty cool. So while we were uh, on the subject of enemies, I wanted to take a little time out to talk about two enemies. Uh, the first one, which I hate, the Marauder. All right. Uh, <laughs> Brian's, Brian's about to bitch out, guys. Everybody complains about the Marauder until they oh, get I'm good at the game. <laughs> this, is, this is the turd in everyone who plays this game's punch bowl, and I will tell you why, for me... This enemy ruins the flow of combat. Everybody on Reddit talks about people like you all the time. Go on there and you're a meme. Let me let me give my case to you here. <laughs> it completely ruins the flow of combat. This because it's the equivalent of if Tony Hawk suddenly put a half pipe somewhere on the map that you had to do a kickflip on seven times before you could get any more points. Uh, also, that half pipe runs after you at, like, as a rogue <laughs> skater and knocks you down constantly. <laughs> <laughs> this this enemy was super hard, and I felt the exact same way. But I saw a video online of somebody taking this guy out in less than uh, 15 seconds, and I learned how he did it. And it's so easy once once you unlock it, once you understand it's it's not that bad. But the whole idea is that this is I'll, I'll even explain. So, so the uh, the game director said that this. Uh, not the final boss. The Marauder is the final test. This is proof that you learned everything that the game had to offer. So you have to take all these things that you've learned, the quick switch, the, the quick dodge, like all those things, put them all together to beat him. And that's why they that's why they have him in there. The Marauder is inherently against the Doom combat loop in philosophy. The Marauder is all about reaction, whereas the entire rest of the game is about action, is about you imposing yourself on the demons. The Marauder's the one exception to that, and when he's there, he's the one guy you... I, I'm not saying he's not difficult and that's not what they were going for, uh, but I'm just saying that he's good as a boss and as an occasional enemy, uh, but... Yeah, I think he only showed up three or four times. One time he definitely was the boss. Well, if you don't take care of the Archviles, as you should, then more of them can pop up, I guess. But I think he's a fine enemy. I just think he's a bad Doom enemy. Like, this would be a great normal shooter enemy, but it just doesn't fit with this game at all. The Arch Devil, which you just mentioned, Clint, is infinitely better because you can still press on and make progress against the rest of the enemies while you're hunting him down. Using my Tony Hawk analogy, you can still score <laughs> points while you're hunting that half-pipe. <laughs> it's weird that we've gone from Doom to Tony Hawk here. But this I, game I plays guess. a lot like Tony Hawk. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> There's crazy music going in the background. You got to get all your points and do crazy shit. Yeah, I guess. no, I, I think the Tony Hawk to Doom analogy is a pretty good one because you always have to maintain motion and flow, and you're trying to do things stylishly and effectively while you're making your way through a big open level. So I have one more counterpoint on the Doom, uh, or sorry, on, on the Marauder, and that is the fact that he is the exact—he is the Doom Slayer. You guys know that, right? That, that, that's how he fits into this universe. He is basically—they were the same guys, but they were the ones that were turned. So. They have the same origin, so that's why he's imposing on you like you impose on everyone else. That is, you guys are the same, basically. So they came up with a narrative excuse for it that doesn't make the design of it any better. But at any rate, we don't have to constantly go back and forth on whether or not the Marauder is a good... Uh, enemy or not because I was constantly going back and forth on a lot of things with this game like is this the 70th time I'm doing the same battle or have they just tweaked the the mix of enemies just enough that it's something new and novel and honestly I didn't have time to think about it too much because the game demanded so much of my attention yeah I don't think I ever felt like 
I was seeing the same thing again. I think they always switched it up just enough. And again, they, you're right. They kept it going so fast that you almost didn't have time to stop and think about it either. The only thing I did finally stop and think about was that the last boss run up sort of when they tell you from here on out, you're going to have to, you know, in the main story campaign from here on out, there is no return to the space station until you beat the final dude. That run up was way too long. Like I feel like it was a full three, four levels, uh, that, you know, didn't like, they were all good. They were all basically pretty good levels. It was just way too long. So I guess you'd be talking about Necroval and yeah. then and then Erdok, right? Yeah, and then your final sort of icon of sin fight at the very end of the game. Final sin, that was a really hard level. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. But at any rate, I mean, this game's campaign and the, the enemies that they throw at you, like like the levels, the enemies have a, a pretty large variety. When you like when you think about the original Doom having seven enemy types, this game has oh god, a couple dozen. They've clearly come a long way. They've added a lot of different things to the game. This is you know it, it, like everything else with this game. It's this game maximalized. You know, there's nothing that they didn't turn up to eleven in Doom Eternal. The weapons in this game, I think, uh, pretty, uh, pretty unmitigated success in most cases. Like this, there's a lot of fun weapons to use in this game. Chief for me being the shotgun with the meat hook attachment, definitely. Yeah. Super you like the fun. super shotgun? Oh yeah. yeah. So I, I did not like it at first. It's all I use now. Uh, as, well, it, it's my go-to at the beginning, especially once you upgrade it. You, uh, you can make the meat hook catch enemies on fire. So you hook them, you catch them on fire, and by the time you get there, you get health and armor out of them it was the most okay, useful item in the game see i felt like again i haven't gone as far in the game as you guys have but i felt like the super shotgun was just the devs trying to be kind of fan servicey to the more original dooms and the marauder was an enemy that needed the super shotgun to fight against so if you if you use the quick shot or the, the super shotgun and the ballista in, in in quick switch succession you could kill that marauder in no less than 10 to 15 seconds because you would hit him with the shotgun, hit him with a ballista, shotgun, ballista, shotgun, ballista. It took th- th- three rounds basically and he was gone. Those were the most powerful things in the game. For me, it wasn't the Marauder. It was Slayer Gate number five that did me in. There was a Marauder a sep- in there, wasn't there? Mar- There's a Marauder in there at first, yes, but it was... <laughs> oh, which- hell, might as well get into it now. Uh, so for me, what it was was... First, it's the Marauder, which is a reaction enemy instead of an action enemy. But then you also have, you know, the different Slayer Gates are trying to throw different challenges at you. And they start off by throwing, let's throw out teleportation enemies at him. And then a lot of the battlefield control and mobility stuff that you've been taught the whole time doesn't matter. Because they're just teleporting all around you anyways. You don't know where they are. How I ended up beating it was after 30 or 40 runs... I just oh ran from tele- from uh, gate to gate, and they weren't, weren't able to track me, and I'd just take pot shots at them until they eventually all died, and I could do the Marauder one-on-one. Yeah, the Marauder... Uh, yeah, that, that gate was extremely hard, and I, uh, I think I just bumped the difficulty down to do that one, to be perfectly honest, because I was like, I don't have time for this. You guys both played this game later on. I rage quit after Slayer Gate 5, but is it worth getting back into? 
Hell yes, that was the that was the hardest. So the Slayer gates that are not even meant to be. Hardest thing. Yeah. yeah, it's not even meant to be a required thing. It's just like an extra. Like, hey, do you like punishment? Do the Slayer gates. It's like an extra thing. There's only six gates. The number five was by far the hardest. It's the only one where a Marauder shows up. Yeah. So this is this is another case in point where I think um, difficulty selection is an unmitigated good in gaming because uh, I got to that point and I was like, well, I'm a completionist person, like uh, like I guess Clint for this game and like Josh is for most things and. I was like, well, I'm not going to keep going until I beat Slayer Gate 5. And so I bumped the difficulty down, cleared that bad boy, and continued on with my life. The other cool thing that this game will do is if you keep hitting your head against a wall in a certain spot, it'll offer you something called Sentinel Armor. And it's like this, hmm. it, it'll say, hey, look, we noticed that you've died like 12 times on this one part. You want Sentinel Armor? Basically, they say it, uh, it, it's not going to affect your progression. It, you can just take a little bit of extra damage. Uh, feel free to load at your last save point with Sentinel Armor, and you basically get to go through that point, and then afterwards they take it off. Like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's just I like, never, hey, we noticed you got stuck, so here, get past it. I never got that. That's interesting. I huh. feel better that I never got offered that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's weird. But um, Play it no, on Ultraviolence. You'll, you'll see it. Yeah, I think you'll. I think you should probably finish it, Josh. It's just like there's there's enough like spectacle in this game that's just fun to see, like all the various, you know, locations, you know, set pieces within the levels, the gigantic titans that you're going to traverse to, you know, run up and kill in this game is it's worth seeing. So turn okay. it down to easy, experience the game. All right, I got through the gate. I'll take that. I'll take. Let's say I, I honestly think that if you just skip the gate, if you could mostly get through that gate. You could get through the rest of the game on the same difficulty you're on right now. Almost guarantee it. Nothing gets harder than that. I did finish the gate. I finished the gate on the same difficulty, finished the level. But then when I was finishing the level, it was out of spite instead of having fun with it. (laughs) Yeah, you you could definitely beat it. So uh, honestly, on my other playthroughs on harder difficulties, I never went back into the Slayer Gates again because they're not even worth... They are only worth doing if you feel like doing the extra challenge. It's, It's the darker side of the moon on, on on mario like it's completely optional it's only there if you really want to do it it's not not required yeah i agree that the weapon you get for it the unmaker it's kind of just like a, a very powerful rapid fire weapon that's not honestly very characteristic of and special compared to anything else that's going on in the weapon system like there's so many neat things in the weapon system since that's what we were originally talking about with <laughs> the various mods and the various different features and functions you can unlock for each one like uh, for example, the uh, assault rifle turning into a sort of sniper rifle type thing, or the plasma rifle having that ability to launch close-range explosions after a long salvo of uh, bullets. It's pretty pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Unmaker was extremely helpful for the final boss where you're blowing off the different bits, because it's, 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 you use it instead of the BFG, basically. It was mm. super helpful for that one fight. Other than that, and you could get around without it. It's not like you needed it, but it was helpful for that. And otherwise, I don't think I'd use it anywhere. So just keep going. I think the one really unique and interesting weapon they put in this game that I that was a, f- a full like new feature add was the the Slayer Sword weapon, uh, the Crucible. That's what it was called. And yeah. it's basically like this is your I found a really hard demon. I just need to take him out immediately in one hit button. And the only thing it doesn't work on <laughs> is. <laughs> The Marauder. The they're, not, they're not letting you bitch out on him. They're going to make you do it. It's, it's what the Marauder is there for. You can't use the BFG on him either. But yeah, I mean, basically this was when uh, a Baron of Hell or some terrible enemy shows up on the screen. This is your get out of demon free card. 
And, um, you know, you couldn't use it really on bosses. You couldn't use it on marauders, but everything else is pretty much fair game with this one. I don't know about you, but this this was one of those things that I, I always got happy when I saw charges for it laying around on the arena because it... Um, it meant that I was going to have a good time and have a good, like, ability to react to a bad situation really quickly. So what was everyone's favorite and least favorite weapons? I really like the uh, the basic shotgun with the sticky grenade mod. Nothing like a good sticky grenade. I loved Halo back in the day, and I just feel like when you can see that gr- you hit get the grenade hit and you're like, yes, it's going down. And you got that, like, that second between when it uh, when you hit with it and when it explodes, then it's just a good feeling over there. My least favorite there was the chain gun. Tactically useful, but also not very interesting as a weapon from my perspective. If I could have done the mobile turret as like a deploy this as a turret sort of thing, that I think might have been more interesting. Yeah, I mean, I already said my favorite was the super shotgun and the meat hook. It's just so fun, and it combined all the good things about this game's combat, like traversal and like fast reaction and and killing least favorite honestly i never really used the uh the ballista much and maybe that's why i was so bad at killing marauders (laughs) i think my favorite was the the super shotgun too it was the most utilitarian out of everything ballista i didn't use much either but it was really good for flying enemies Mm -hmm. so that was Mm -hmm. helpful there but other than that you didn't really use it too much i did like the upgrade system they had with the weapons where you unlock a mod with it and then uh, those are at certain points in the game, but then when you complete the arena combats, when you complete the Slayer Gates, you get weapon modification points that you can use to make these weapons more powerful. And then once you reach a, uh, you unlock two or three of them, you unlock this Mastery Challenge, which if you complete this, like, knock off 20 or 25 spider turrets using the Sticky Grenade, um, then it has an extra power to it. Like it makes, it buffs that weapon or that modification even more. I thought that was a really cool system, a way to get progression going. Um, Besides just the linear, I'm advancing through the level. You also have these sub goals you have as a player. You're like, well, when I'm at my next arena combat, I'm going to look out for this certain type of demon and try to kill him in this certain type of way. Um, Added some more like split second decisions you had to make during the game. This was one more thing. This was one more like item on the side of the screen that I just straight up couldn't keep track of. Like, I don't think I completed a single master challenge because I couldn't be bothered to. I was like, I'm having enough like trouble continuing to make my way through this game. Um, I don't think that uh, I'm, I'm going to need I'm going to devote the attention that is needed to complete these master challenges, to be perfectly honest. That was the nice thing. Like everything else, like with the Crucible and all the other things, they had uh, the completion coins that you could find later in the the game that pretty much allowed you to bypass those just in case you didn't feel like doing the challenges yeah yeah they did they definitely gave you an out which i liked a lot um you know they they always sort of couched it as like this is sort of just an extra added thing that you don't absolutely need to beat the game but uh, yeah there was just there was a lot of systems in this game the various upgrade systems from the runes to sentinel crystals which increase your health ammo and armor to praetor suit points which upgrade the various things you can use like the blood punch or the grenades to sentinel batteries which unlock different parts of your doom castle to the keys that you get to unlock the doom or the for, from the slayer gates like we were talking about earlier there's just like there's systems on systems on systems in this game and it like, when I first saw all the collectibles in it, I was like, holy shit, did we go back to Nintendo 64 era? Um, besides all of those, they also had the little, um, the 
you could get Doom toys, like fun little action figure models of the different monsters, and soundtrack items, musical numbers that weren't just from Doom, but also from other games of that era. Like uh, there were different ones from Quake. Um, I'm sorry, the era that Doom was originally released in. I saw a soundtrack uh, of a piece from Commander Keen, which I think I played that back on the MS-DOS, which is dating me a little bit, but I thought it was fun that they um, they had those lying around too. And I, I enjoyed hunting for the secrets, even when you know the secret might be a little bit of extra story fluff or a tiny little action figure. It was still cool thing to look around for. It, it was definitely fun and they like they added the cheat codes in there from the original doom like God oh iddqd like <laughs> classic <laughs> yeah. they they made an effort to like make this an homage to the series as a whole which is fun and good and i think it it ended up being like like you said the secrets were always something that was if not like immediately useful or something that was mechanically interesting at least like something that made you smile So, Clint, you have recently played through both this game and Doom 2016. Um, what? How do the games compare against each other? Was this an all-around improvement? You mentioned you didn't like the atmosphere in this one as much. That would be me nitpicking. So one of the things I did when I was playing through these games, I actually played through 2016 and Eternal back-to-back. I did an ultra-violence run through both of them for just for fun. And that was after you played this one and beat it the first time, right? Yeah, yeah, I wanted to go back and try them back-to-back mm-hmm. and, and see some of those differences. Obviously, the biggest difference is the mobility, right? You didn't have the dash. To be able to double jump and dash and do all that kind of stuff, you know, back-to-back, that really upped, for one, the speed of the game, and then also just the mobility in general. There's no platforming in the first one, really. The, the guns play out mostly the same. It's just way more intense. The first mm-hmm. game is more grounded, and everything is there for a reason. This game, again, you would have floating platforms in the middle of nowhere just for the sake of having platforming, and it was brighter as opposed to the darker Doom 2016. Either way, I mean, they complement each other very well. The one thing Eternal really did was try to pay homage to, like, early Doom games. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but, like, all the Doom 2016 demons looked... They had, like, a new design, but in twenty or in the Eternal games, they were, like, looking exactly like they looked in original Doom 2. Which I liked, honestly, I liked the way they looked in Doom 2016. And but it, it was really cool to see them. Like the Cacodemon was redone. The a couple of those bigger demons, they look exactly like they look in, in the original, pretty much. Talking about the tyrant. Yeah, the tyrant. Sorry. Yeah, this yeah. was like a love letter to the original Doom fans. There was one grace note. I don't know if you guys noticed it or not, but if, if you remember in the original Doom, all the key card hunting you had to do, like find the red key card oh, to yeah. unlock the red yes. door. Um, when you start off in the BFG level, I laughed out loud at this. Um, you're you warp into this, you know, enemy outpost, enemy bureaucrats and scientists running around everywhere, and you get to this door, and there's a guy running by you, and you grab him by the key, he has his key red key card around his neck, and you use that to open the door, and that's all you see about it the whole time. Don't have to worry about it the rest of the game. Yeah, so I guess that leads to one other aesthetic change that I really wish they hadn't walked away from, and that was in, there was some key cards and some other things in Doom 2016. Every time you got a weapon, you would, like, pull the weapon off of some, like, half-eaten corpse or something, or if if you needed, 
if you needed a key card, you'd, you'd pull it off of, you know, a, a dead scientist here or there. And in Doom Eternal, they're just like these floating neon things sitting in the middle of space. I'm just like, why? It was so... Yeah. I don't know. I think it was a step backwards there too, but whatever. That's just that's just my personal take on it. That's not how everybody feels about it. Clint, we're here to nit- we're on a podcast. We're here to nitpick things. It's okay. Yep. Yeah, I for one agree with you completely, Clint. Like there was like I liked a lot about Doom Eternal from a mechanical perspective, but the lack of like charm and humor in how they executed the moment to moment action and the uh, the story in particular, like really surprised me like this was like a lore forward series referential story in terms of like we got this whole universe and we're going to tell you every single bit about the backstory whereas in doom 2016 every time something like that started to come out of a speaker the doom guy would just crush it uh, yeah. and i i like that better personally like let me uh discover that on my own don't have like monologues going on uh, this is uh, the Dark Souls lesson all, all over again. Like, this is the difference between the Titanfall 2 Teflon lore and the Dark Souls evocative in the background lore. Yeah, I want more of Samuel Hayden and, and the Doomslayer ignoring the shit out of each other than than them telling me everything about everything. Yeah, exactly. That is that is perfect. Uh, they, they, they executed it with such, like, fun and camp and, like, humor in Doom 2016. And in this one, it was very, like, self-serious, which was a weird tonal shift for me. Uh, however, the moment-to-moment action still slapstick, comedy, gore. So, you know, yep. that part, successful. I wouldn't even call it slapstick so much. I, I guess um, some of the glory kills and whatnot veer towards that. Just like them trying to amp it up to 11 as much as they could. Um, well, I mean, you got like the cacodemon that accidentally swallows the the uh, grenade you throw at him, and he has that like comic book gulp sound, and right before he blows up, like yeah, some of okay, it was really point. slapstick. Yeah, it's present. There. I, I it's think present. That there's it. It maybe if when it's not totally slapstick, it's at least campy, right? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 not like you're not meant to be like you're not meant to be seriously grossed out by it. You're meant to like be grossed out about it in the way you're grossed out by a B horror movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, another thing about um, the Doom Eternal, the new version, is the multiplayer on this one was done in studio. And I hear you guys have played a little bit of that as well. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a cool multiplayer mode. Uh, Clint Clint told me basically that he had played it and I was I was interested. So I played a few matches with him. Um, it's a three man thing uh, affair for the whole thing. And basically you are... Uh, one person is the Doom Marine, and two people play various demons that have abilities. And it's sort of like Overwatch meets uh, Evolved in terms of the uh, two demons are trying to hunt down and kill the uh, the Doom Slayer, and the Doom Slayer in turn is just trying to kill the two demons. It's it's a lot of fun. It's very fast. It, it mimics this, the quickness of the, the main game in that way. Yeah, I played a lot uh, on PlayStation with a bunch of randoms, and that wasn't as fun. It was way more fun playing with people that I could talk to. And, and being that it's only a, a three-man team for the whole thing, that's probably a pretty easy thing for most people to, to get a team together to do. It's it's fun. I won't say that it was... It's definitely not the best thing about this game, but it's certainly better than what they put up last time. And I think it's a cool experiment, and I hope it's something that they expand on later. You mean you didn't like Snap Map? <laughs> I mean, that was also a really cool idea, and some people did some really cool things with it, but yeah, that was obviously left out of this one. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think I agree that they, they went forward with the multiplayer, for sure, and I hope, yeah, I think I hope that they, they continue on that front. 
I played about a match and a half of this right before we did the podcast. I will say that I'm generally a fan of asymmetrical multiplayer just because it's, to me, it represents the devs taking a swing for the fences as opposed to playing something more safe and straightforward. You know, they're trying to do something new. Asymmetrical multiplayer is hard. From what I've experienced of it, I think they've done a good job with it. I guess uh, one thing that we definitely should be talking about uh, when we're talking about this game is the music. So that is the driving force behind this game. So the combat is in your face, constant, and you get in that flow state, but you could not get in that state without the music. So this has some heavy hitting, heavy metal music um, going on behind it. It's uh, the composer's name is Mick Gordon. He did the, uh, he's done uh, things for I think Prey, a couple of the Wolfenstein games, and then the last these last two Doom games, and man, it makes all the difference in the world. I actually had a bug when I was playing this game where I got into an arena fight and it didn't play any music, and it was not the same game, not even close. This, yeah, this music makes the game for sure. That would be so weird to, like, just have a combat kickoff and there not be that, like, pulse-pounding metal music, like, given I'm not a metal fan, uh, really, but, like, in this context, it works perfectly. Like, it's fast, it's technical... Uh, if you're not in the mood for it, it goes down extremely poorly, but if you're like in the zone and like ripping in a Terran, it is the perfect background music. Yeah, if you're not in the mood for it, then you're not in the mood for this game, I can almost guarantee yeah. it. They go hand in hand. So I remember we did our Obra Din podcast last, and I think Brian mentioned that the developer, I think it was Lucas Pope, I could be wrong mm-hmm. about that, Lucas Pope, yeah. Um, That's right. The developer started off with the visuals and kind of built the game after that. I feel right. with Doom, they started off with the metal guitar music and they built the game after that. Um, everything in this game, the fast pace of the combat and the exploration, uh, the whole aesthetic of it, the different locations that will be visited, uh, very much so in line with metal music as it's evolved in different locations. It's a really cool dynamic soundtrack too. So when you're moving from from context to context, it will pick up. So like you'll be walking down a hallway and it'll be playing a song and then you'll jump into a combat and it'll be the same song, but it'll jump into a bar of like really heavy hitting stuff right there and then things will slow down and it'll jump to a different part of the song, but it does it so seamlessly. You don't even notice it. It's very context heavy how the music plays out and it really, again, drives the context of what you're doing in the game. I don't know. It's hard to explain. You got to play it to feel it, but it's it's really cool. Yeah, they do a good job of like sort of fading in and out different levels of the music as you engage in combat and, and disengage. Like you were saying, it's it's a cool uh, theme, and you you know, there's other games have done a, a dynamic soundtracks and adaptive soundtracks depending on context, but it works extremely well in Doom, which is such like a high and low between combat and sort of level traversal sections. So kudos to them for mixing that extremely well with the action on screen all right yeah i think i will start playing this game again you should i i I honestly i honestly think you'll like it no i came back from a shift at the hospital i had like an hour left before bed and i'm like i'm gonna blow off some steam i'll just do this quick slayer gate and i ended up not blowing off any steam and going to bed very (laughs) stressed and angry 
And then I had to go back to the sh- another shift to the hospital the next day. So yeah. Well, this game will get your heart rate up. That's for sure. I think. <laughs> I I wish I'd have wore my uh, my Apple Watch while I was playing this because I'm pretty <laughs> sure it would I would have been in cardio mode pretty much the whole time. How many Fit Fitbit steps do you get playing this game? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the game did not meet you halfway on that one, Josh. And Not yeah, at all. That's, not that's at too all. bad. <laughs> well, why don't we go into some three-word reviews? So my three-word review for this game is Metal Album Cover. I feel like the development cycle for this was, is it metal? If yes, include it in-game. Uh, things from like your flaming space axes uh, to the like the the kings of the old order on the Sentinel Prime. Um, anything that I feel has been like tangentially related to the metal scene, they built a level out of that. I'm kind of surprised we weren't fighting space Vikings at one point, um, but. It, they did it extremely well, extremely effectively. I think I'm about 12 hours into this game right now, and I really enjoyed everything up to that fifth Slayer gate. But talking with you guys, I think I'm going to keep on going and finish through the game. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely more to see. Uh, my three-word review is Triage, Prioritize, Act. Uh, this game forces you to assess your threats, prioritize your needs, and then execute with superhuman precision at times. So I'm going to triage my thoughts on this in our first ever nested three-word review. Uh, all right, number one, too many systems. Initially, this game made me think, Jesus Christ, calm down, Doom, you're a shooter. Number two, tired yet wired. Doom is what people think dudes playing games in their basement are doing all the time. This is that perfected and amped up to 11. And three, less is more. No need for daily challenges, multiple upgrade systems, or the ability to live out your fantasy as a Funko Pop collector. Doom is a shooter. Just be a shooter. All in all, I had a good time with Doom, and it teaches a valuable lesson. Even if things seem overwhelming, this is all able to be overcome if you take a deep breath, slow down, and execute. Thumbs up from me. Yeah, so my three-word review, and I had several as well, but the one I landed on was uh, Doom is Eternal. Doom has been going on for over 20 years now, and it has changed and reinvented itself, you know, time and time again, and it's always freaking good. Every single time, they managed to put something better on the plate than, than they served up last time, and for me, it's Eternal because I continually continue to play it. I, I have played through Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal probably no less than, than 10 times a piece at least, and I don't think I'm done, so I want more. Please give me more. I can't wait for the DLC this year, and I can't wait to see what they do in the next one, so thumbs up for me. Doom Eternal was uh, a nice treat in a dark time. It's a hell of a way to take your mind off of literally everything, especially in such crazy, crazy times. Another game that's a bit of a, a nice lapse from reality is next month's game, Super Mario Odyssey. Uh, this is a game where you're traveling around the world, and in a time where we're all mostly confined to our homes or work, it is a salve for a very stressful time, and it's a game that's going to hopefully give us a feeling of getting out, having a lighthearted adventure. So join us next month for Super Mario Odyssey for Pixelated Playgrounds. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and rip and tear.
one of the things about the game that we didn't talk about during the cast that I thought was a really good design stroke is that for your weapons, you had your eight basic weapons, and six of them shared ammo types. That was one of my notes. That was a definite improvement from last time. Yeah, like, uh, I didn't like the weapon switching as a style. Like, uh, I kind of f felt that the combats up to getting the ballista were a bit tighter in the design or the strategies presented to you. And once you had more weapons, things kind of moved onwards. Um, but I did like that those weapons would share an ammo type with another one, so it's not just like you run out of plasma gun and then you move to your ballista. Well, you're out of ammo for that too now. It gave you the option of choosing the weapon you liked out of the two that shared the ammo cache, right? Mm-hmm. Also true. And, and most of the time it made sense. I think the only one that didn't make perfect sense was maybe the ballista and the plasma rifle, but, you know, the shotgun and the super shotgun, of course, those would share. The, the two rifles had assault rifle ammo. But I did like that they they simplified that down a lot because that was having eight ammo types to keep track of is just a lot in, in a game where you're not supposed to be thinking and just doing. What did you guys think of the BFG as a mechanic? It was one of those get out of jail free cards that kept really um, annoying parts. Less annoying. Know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. It was it was definitely good and. You know, the BFG acted the same way in Doom 2016, and it was always like, ah, uh, yes. It, it was such a, it's always such a good feeling. Like, I think when they give you something that makes you feel like a badass, the game wins, right? Like, it, it's succeeding in that moment. Yeah, I saved the BFG and the Crucible stuff for encounters that I knew would just be... I, I did not use them unless I knew I was, like, screwed. If I got in, an, into a terrible situation, I would pull out the BFG. I would save it for that. The Crucible, I saved explicitly for Arch Vials. The second they came out, I'm going to... Uh, Tyrants and Archviles. I went right after him with that thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. So you, you keep harping on Archviles as like this thing that like I, I prioritize them as well, but I don't feel like I prioritize them as much as you did. Did they get like much more amplification of damage in higher difficulties or something? Or uh, it's it's what happens if you leave them on the board. So the buff totems, the, the, they're a movable buff totem. They're also very deadly themselves, and they will spawn marauders and not just one, uh, but multiples if you don't take care of them quickly. Okay, they will, so I didn't know that. Yeah, they will continue to spawn enemies as long as they're alive, so you have to get rid of them super quick. It's hard, sort of hard to tell that that was the or origin of enemies spawning in, because this game's always spawning in enemies, right? Like, so I didn't actually notice that it was the Archvile that was doing that compared to just the level. Gotcha. The signposting on that, I guess, was that they came in with the red stuff around them, looking like a buff totem. So there was a, an area of uh, Final Sin, that last level, that I did not think I would ever be able to get through on uh, Ultra Violence because there was an area where I had to deal with a couple marauders while dealing with an archvile and a whole mess of other things that were going on. What I didn't realize was I just didn't take care of the archvile fast enough in my first round through. And I, it was so much easier the second time. I went right after the archvile and I'm like, oh, that was it? This room was so easy. Yeah, it feels like they're they're definitely at a higher priority. Like, they were second for me to Marauders just because, I, I don't know, maybe I was doing something wrong with them, apparently. But, eh. I, lo I left them alone. Uh, honestly, I did, Josh, I, I did what you did. I would clear a room. I would clear out the extra crap mm -hmm. so that I could focus on them. And, and your biggest weapon here isn't your weapons. It's your mobility and your ability to get away. He messed with you a little bit because he could do the same things you could do most of the time, unfortunately. The Marauder? But, Honestly, yeah. I feel like I would have been very much happier with the Marauder if he didn't teleport. Yeah, he's he's basically you. You you guys are the same thing. So that's why he was so annoying. 
The other thing, you, you mentioned no space Vikings. I don't know what the hell you think a Marauder is. That's pretty <laughs> yeah, damn he's close. Really he's, got, he's got the <laughs> he's horns, the shield, the dog, and the, and, the, and the axe. I don't know what else you need. Okay. Yeah, he's pretty much a space well, Viking. Well, I guess they had the space Viking, too. Congratulations, <laughs> yeah. Doom. You've completed yeah. the metal marathon. <laughs> 